0: Hello and welcome to the third episode of Wrappin' Blog Radio with your hosts, Brett and Andrew, and tonight we're joined by my friend Tom, who's an active-duty Marine and an avid Cleveland Browns fan. Tom, have you ever purchased an AR-15 at Walmart? Uh,
1: No, I haven't. Purchased a lot of ammo from them. Brett, have you
0: ever bought an AR at Walmart?
2: I have. I picked up a Colt 6920 from them when uh, you couldn't find them anywhere else.
0: And how much did you pay for that, if
2: I may ask? I believe it was around ten forty-nine.
0: That's a pretty good price, all things considered, in the last five years or so. We have recently discovered that Walmart will stop selling AR-15s, and some people are very upset about that, but are either of you really upset that Walmart won't sell ARs anymore? I don't think so.
2: I think there's so many other places that you can buy ARs that I don't think it's going to make any difference whatsoever on the market.
0: So do either of you see this as Walmart
1: abandoning
0: the AR market or abandoning shooters or anything like that?
1: I think probably what's happened is ARs just probably haven't sold very well. And Walmart's very aggressive with the way they do their sales. And if something's not selling, they're just not going to sell it anymore. That is true. And
0: ARs have definitely not been selling as well in the last, say, year or so. I think Brett's probably best positioned to answer that question. What do you say, Brett?
2: Sales have certainly slowed down over the spring and summer. I'm sure they're going to pick up in the fall, but it's hard to say how much they will.
0: It'll be interesting to see what the market is like going into the next presidential election, because I thought the first real boom and bust we had in the last 10 years, the 2008 election, was just the one to end all uh, cycles like that. But then we had another one in 2012, so who knows? Brett, I think we've talked about Walmart enough. Do we have any questions from our avid listeners?
2: We do. Our first question comes from Andres, and he's wondering what backup sites you recommend for an AR for a patrol uh, Leo.
0: Well, our resident astrologist is Tom. Tom, what would you recommend?
1: Yeah, if he's a Leo, then he's probably really compatible with uh Aries and, and... Does Ares make backup sites or do they just make uh Aries Armor uh makes lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh... <laughs>
0: So for a patrol officer who wants some backup iron sights, my go-to answer whenever someone asks about backup sights is just the Magpul MBUS or MBUS, whatever you want to call them. They have the new, the pro sights, which are metal. The original ones were basically just plastic. When I first saw them, I thought, that's just stupid. Why would I want plastic sights? I know Magpul makes good magazines, but they're just taking it too far. Well, then I tried some out and I did that drop test where the the Magpul sights actually outperformed pretty much everything else that I tested. I was really impressed with them and I would highly recommend them. If you want to spend more money, the pro sites are really nice. They have some good features, but overall, I don't think you can go wrong with those uh, Magpul plastic, really affordable backup sights. If you need backup sights on your rifle.
2: I have to agree with that. The Magpul backup sights are some of the best out there. They're lightweight, inexpensive, and they hold up really well. I think if you're going to be using them as more of a main sight, there's some better ones out there. Uh, I really like the Knight's Armament.
1: I've had Knight's Armament uh, backup sights, at least for the backup sight, on my uh, service rifle. It worked great. Uh, I actually had to qual with that uh, because we didn't have the ACOGs fully transitioned over, and they weren't available to everybody yet.
0: He didn't really give us a budget. Uh, There are definitely other options out there that are quite good. I always look at something as what is going to accomplish the job be really quite durable or reliable but not really cost a whole lot of money so whether that's an optic or backup sites or a magazine let's say someone came out with a magazine that you knew would never ever fail but it cost a thousand dollars a piece or you could have a pmag where the reliability is just it's probably not never ever going to fail but quite excellent would you pay the $10 for the PMAG, or would you buy a box full of $1,000 magazines?
2: You'd probably be better off spending the extra money that you might spend on more expensive sites and put that towards a nicer optic.
0: I agree completely, because if you have a good optic, then your chances of having to use those backup sites are greatly reduced.
1: I see in the civilian market a lot, people will get those Amazon kind of ordered Tasco, or or what I can't even think of the other brands, but they always get the very cheap sites. And then when it comes time for me to like help them zero it in, it's always just, it's, it's fascinating to see this wobbling and all these other like constant errors. And you're like, Hey, how much did you pay for these? That's Oh, 70 bucks. You know, it's, it's really expensive. And it's like, I wish I could tell you how expensive, like a really good optic actually is without you flipping out.
2: You would not believe how many people I see that have, a like Daniel Defense rifle or some other, you know, like the high end Smith and Wessons or something like that. And then they'll put a hundred dollar red dot on it. Yeah. Some Chinese made garbage.
0: This begs the question of whether or not you need backup iron sights on all of your rifles. Some people have one rifle that they use for work if you're a police officer or something like that. And you may or may not know that you need backup iron sights for that rifle. But if you have eight ARs in your safe, do you need to put backup iron sights on each one of those ARs? I would rather spend that money on a good optic that's probably never going to fail you or has a really low chance of failure and it's going to hold zero when you need it rather than spending 50 to to $100 on each rifle just for a rear backup iron sight, perhaps even more money than that. This really comes down to the individual person. Some people are going to know they need backup iron sights. If you just think you're going to have to put backup iron sights on your rifle because everyone else is doing it, then maybe you should reconsider. So in the past two podcasts, what we did is answer questions people had emailed into the blog over time. But we were talking about something earlier before this podcast that Brett brought up, and I thought it was a really good topic. So I'm going to turn it over to him with an interesting question that he has, and I think will be th- quite thought-provoking. So Brett?
2: So I had an observation the other day uh, looking at the Beretta 92 and the new Beretta Firearms. With the PX-4 Storm, the Nano, the Pico, the ARX-100, what happened to Beretta?
0: Are you saying that the storied company with almost 500 years' worth of history is going by the wayside?
2: I think that their last four or five firearms that they've released have been absolutely terrible.
0: What's wrong with their new concealed carry handguns, like the Pico or the Nano or whatever they're called?
2: With the Pico... The recoil spring is so tight on it, most people can't actually rack the gun, and there's serious issues with shooting standard pressure ammunition. And Beretta says that it'll cycle plus P380 auto, but I've I rarely see any plus P380, and very few people want to shoot that through such a tiny gun. And the magazine release on the Pico is incredibly difficult to use. I've really struggled. I mean it takes me a good you know, five or ten seconds just to get the magazine out of the gun.
1: Almost all the new Beretta models I've handled felt very, very clunky, for lack of a better term. I was reading about the Pico, and I
0: saw that they're, they're claiming it's like the thinnest pistol in existence in its uh, category or something like that.
2: It is really thin. There's no question about it being very small. Uh, it's smaller dimensionally in some areas than even the kel
0: could it be that they sacrificed functionality so they could meet some arbitrary marketing point? That's a, probably an emphatic yes.
2: I certainly think it's possible. They were really late coming to the market. They're really the last, you know, micro 380 to come out. But even with it being so thin, there's several things they could have done much better than they did. And moving on to the Nano. I don't think the Nano's as terrible as some of their other firearms. It's really boxy which I think a lot of people like because they believe it will make it easier to conceal carry the gun. But once it's in a holster, it's not really going to make any difference. And I've found that it really is not a comfortable gun to hold
0: on to. They're a little late to the party with this 380 and 9mm carry gun thing, aren't they?
2: Yeah, they really are. And especially with guns like the XDS and the Shield already on the market in, in the 9mm, and the Nano being considerably more expensive than both of those and not performing nearly as well it's really, really hard to justify spending the extra money for the Nano.
0: I feel like Glock, even though they were definitely late to the market with this single-stack subcompact 9 and 380, I think they could get away with it a little better than Beretta because people still saw Glocks as a a carry gun, the Glock 19, Glock 26, et cetera. But Beretta really hasn't made a whole lot of popular carry guns in the last 10 or 20 years.
1: I can't think of any offhand. I think Glock is the the 43 is going to do well no matter what.
0: I think there's a certain number of people who will definitely buy a Glock just because it's a Glock. I don't think the same can be said for Beretta.
1: No the only people that I've seen buy Berettas are are looking for something that was similar to their service pistol. Uh, They want that familiarity.
0: And the 92FS actually is, I think, quite a good gun. I was just handling one today, a friend of mine showed me a 92FS he's had for 20 years. It was made in Italy, and I could tell it was a quality firearm. But that design is, I mean, it's been 30 years since the military adopted it, and the design is significantly older than that. They haven't really adapted very well in the pistol market. Uh, Brett, didn't they have that ARX rifle that I was all excited about? I made a video about it when I toured their factory in Italy.
2: Yeah, when the ARX-100 finally came to market, there were some pretty significant issues with it. It wasn't very reliable from most of the reports that I've heard on it, and the charging handle is toothpick thin, and whenever you charge the rifle, if you're not careful, your knuckles will scrape on the brass deflector and cut it open.
0: You'll cut the brass deflector open, or you'll cut your knuckles open? Your knuckles, thank you for pointing that out.
1: I can't even find an ARX-160 for sale right now. Well, that's an
0: interesting point because the ARX-160 is both the assault rifle made by Beretta for the Italian military and the designation for the 22 caliber version of the ARX-100, which they sell here in the U.S. So I, I don't really understand that other than maybe they're trying to attract the Call of Duty kids who want to buy a, a an assault rifle with the same name as the one they play in a video game, except they can only afford to shoot 22. I don't really get it.
1: And I think the RX 160 or 100 uh, is not a very good gun in Battlefield 4 either, uh, you know, through my rigorous testing.
0: Speaking of Berettas that were not good in video games, the RX 4 Storm, does anyone remember that? <laughs> Barely.
2: Yeah, I remember seeing seeing some pictures in a magazine several years ago, but that's pretty much it.
0: So Benelli basically turned the. M4 shotgun into a rifle, or they used that gas system, the Argo gas system and the M4 stock on a .223 caliber rifle with shotgun type controls on it. It was just really weird. And then Beretta picked it up and kind of stylized it in the same fashion as the PX4 and the CX4, their pistol caliber uh, pistol and the pistol caliber carbine. And then they tried to sell it as this like matching rifle that you could buy. And I don't think anyone was interested. The the MR1 was a terrible gun and the RX4 was a terrible gun, and I think that's something Beretta would just like us to forget.
2: So let's not forget about the PX4, which is Beretta's full-sized handgun that they also make a compact and subcompact version of.
0: Ah, Yes, the Beretta Cougar with different styling and a polymer frame.
2: That's the one. I don't think they're a bad pistol, but for the price right around 550-600, I really don't see them as being a real option for a full-sized handgun. There's just way better options out there for the same or less money.
0: When I bought a Stoger Cougar, which is basically a Beretta Cougar made on Beretta tooling, but in Turkey, I believe, I thought it was a great handgun and it performed well. It was it was very accurate, very reliable. I carried it for a while, but I paid $300 for it. And I think that was a good price. The PX4 does essentially the same thing, now I'm not really saying that a Stoger is the same as a Beretta because some people will say well that's just like saying a PT-92 is the same as a 92FS it's not what I'm getting at but would you pay $600 for something like that when you could pay $600 and probably get what a VP9 maybe
2: yeah a VP9, PPQ, Smith & Wesson M&P, Glock with night sights
0: so there are a lot of options available and Beretta is not really making a compelling case from a functionality standpoint I think they're good on the marketing, and they have a very slick aspect to that. They make things look cool, but when it comes to functionality or getting the most for your dollar, I don't really know that Beretta is where I'd put my money nowadays.
2: And one thing to keep in mind with the rotating barrel is there's no way to mount a suppressor on the gun without the suppressor coming loose during fire. All right, that's enough bashing Beretta. All right, so if you could only own firearms that were manufactured by one company, which company would you choose? Beretta. Why would you choose Beretta?
0: Okay, I would choose Beretta if the year was 1986. However, it is not 1986. It is 2015. And I would have to say Smith & Wesson because I'm not a huge fan of the M&P 9, but the M&P 45 I think is fantastic. And also their ARs are really quite good. They have quite a selection there in terms of caliber, They have 22. I'm not sure if they're still making the 545, but I have one of those around here somewhere. They have various levels of 556 AR, and then also I think they have some in 308. Shotguns, I don't know. I don't think they make any right now. I think maybe in the past they had had shotguns made under their name. And then if you consider that Thompson Center is part of Smith and Wesson, then you could have bolt-action rifles like the Dimension and the Venture, which are not the greatest on the market, but they're pretty decent rifles and they have some kind of nifty features. So I would have pretty much all of my firearm needs met by one company. Tom, what about you?
1: I'm, I'm going to go with subjectively uh, CZ. I would go with CZ. Uh, we we don't need to talk about their handguns. They're, they're fantastic. Uh, just out of the box, I enjoy s- shooting CZs more than pretty much any other handgun. Their CC Scorpion Evo is, it's okay, I've shot it, uh, it's, not fan, it's not amazing, it works. I'm not a big fan of the fact that it only comes with 20-round magazines right now, 30-rounders uh, are more hard to come by. I'm not a really big SMG guy anyway, so I wouldn't really need an SMG that badly, but it, it's still a reasonably priced firearm and it, it works pretty well. The CZ 805 is right now only offered as a pistol, not as a rifle, which I think is a a smarter decision on CZ's part because they're not trying to. They're aware that nobody's really buying AR 15 style rifles or 5.56 rifles or carbines. So they're kind of keeping it as a pistol, and it's going to be much more what I would see as a a niche market for gun hipsters such as myself. Uh, They also make very good shotguns from what I understand but again I'm not a big shotgun guy so I don't, I don't care as much and their bolt-action rifles are fantastic
0: yeah I can't dispute that the CZ bolt-actions are great and let's not forget everyone's favorite rifle the VZ-58 Brett what about you
2: I think there's a lot of companies that I would be okay with only owning firearms from them Smith & Wesson's a really really good one especially because they have some of the best 22s on the market they suppress really well they're super reliable but i think my choice would be with the fn their ar's are amazing their handguns are really really good lightweight super reliable they're accurate they make a good compact 9mm now their shotguns are good or their shotguns are all right i should say i've seen some of the uh, some pretty serious issues with their semi-auto but uh, again i don't really care too much about shotguns
1: you've seen issues with the semi-automatic shotgun they offer the uh, the slp
2: yeah, I've seen some pretty serious cycling issues with basically all of the new ones. The old ones seem to work fine, but the new ones don't
0: work at all. Well, their bolt action rifles are quite excellent too, so that's a good uh, good choice. They are good.
2: There are some of them that they even guarantee MOA accuracy for 10,000 rounds.
0: And let's not forget the Scar.
2: The Scar is an excellent 308 super lightweight, um probably my favorite overall 308.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that.
2: You know, as an honorable mention, I think Ruger would also be a pretty decent choice. They uh make, you know, less expensive firearms, but with their new precision rifle, I think they'd be a a fine company to go with.
0: I think my runner-up would be SIG because if you offered me a 228 and then a SIG 751 in exchange for basically all my guns, I would probably agree to that. When a new gun comes out, I and other people get excited. I really just don't care. But I really, really wish we could buy the sig seven fifty one here in the u s You
2: would be stuck with owning a mosquito though
0: I think there are aftermarket conversions for their twenty two i I had a a an aftermarket conversion for my beretta and it worked really well. but as soon as I got rid of my beretta ninety twos I think I sold off the conversion but you are you are correct the the mosquito is a terrible handgun. Well, I think we have time for one more question from our excited readership or listenership, I should say.
2: All right, Michael is wondering when the Facts and Review is coming out.
0: The Facts and Review will be coming out at some point in the future. I don't like giving hard timeline promises on reviews because I always end up busting them. I take a long time to review things and I have a lot of items in the uh, review hopper, I guess you could say. So I've been hesitant to accept items for review in the last couple years frankly when it comes to the facts and this is actually the second time I've been offered one of these uppers for review the first time was a couple of years ago and I just had too many things going on I don't like accepting a thousand dollar item and saying sure I'll, I'll review this and then it takes me six months or whatever to get it done or a year or more in this case I'm going to work the facts and into a couple other tests I'm doing but my initial impressions are that it's quite heavy and that the weight is farther forward than I would like. Although that really depends on the kind of lower and the stock that you have on the complete rifle. My biggest complaint about the Faxon would be the height of the rail. Basically the rail is even higher than I thought and it is rather uncomfortable to shoot with a standard stock. I feel like I need some sort of cheek riser. If you had never shot any type of AR before, you might not notice. But if you're used to bringing a rifle up to your cheek uh, in a specific position and shooting, it's extremely disconcerting to have to adjust position and move your head significantly higher. To some people, it's just a fraction of an inch. But when we're talking about trying to shoot quickly at 70, 80, 200 yards, it's all the difference in the world. It does not have a whole lot of recoil, but then again, it's fairly heavy. So I would expect reduced recoil compared to say a five and a half pound AR. Interestingly enough, the Faxon shipped without iron sights uh, and without a muzzle device. So with a muzzle device, with an EOTech and on a standard AR lower, it's right about nine pounds, which is, like I said, pretty heavy, but time will tell if the performance is worth nine pounds. I guess I'll just have to uh, write that review. Well, this concludes another episode of Verwappen Blog Radio.
2: Thank you for listening.
0: Yes, thank you very much for listening. We will continue to produce these episodes at a faster pace. I know it took us about two months to make this third episode after the second one, but we're all back in town now, and we're all excited about making the podcast, and we hope you're as excited to listen to it. We hope you join us next week when we discuss the triggering effects of the word CLIP.